right, good morning, everyone. Hey, glad to see you. Good morning. Thanks, Joan. I appreciate it. You make, uh, make up for 10 people right there. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, so, and I need to hear that, so thank you. Can I get an amen, Joan? Amen. amen. All right, okay. Y'all want to join in with Joan today? Just join in with her. Okay. All right, amen. All right, all right. Okay, so now what we're doing is we just got off of a sermon series entitled Living on the Edge. Now we want to talk about God knows your story, and a storyline, what we would understand is as a testimony of what God has done in our lives. Now, when we think of the word story, you have to, you got to understand that everything we watch, movies, dramas, thrillers, mysteries, always have a storyline. Now, I'm going to date myself just a little bit, and y'all can laugh if you want. Um, you know, I remember when I was younger, and, you know, the soap operas were during the day, but then they decided to create a soap opera by night, and they brought Dynasty in. I mean, they just brought this, this, this crazy drama, family, dysfunctionality and all, and they brought it in, and then Dallas followed, and then Falcon Crest, and then they started following along over the years. They just kept on going with the different shows to create drama. For people to come home at night and what happens is people and what happened is people got addicted to these storylines. <laughs> they were wondering what was going to happen with so and so and what was going to happen with their lives and then how it was going to affect someone else's life and then the whole family and before you know it, it wasn't any more of a comedy, now it was drama and then they started to add in action films even in the 80s on NBC when the A-Team came in, B.A. Baracus and the A-Team, right? And so they all came in with all these action shows, and then they followed up with other action shows. Then cop shows came in, and then family shows came in with the Cosby and all these other shows, Family Matters, and they started to implement storylines. And the stories that we in, were intrigued by start to what I would use the word, quote unquote, suck us into a storyline where we start to almost want to become this person with different characters. So in a story, you have elements that are involved. There's obviously a plot with a setting, characters, even some historical backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, irony, turning point, a villain, and a hero, impossible situations, and most of all, the drama. The drama that sets in more than I, you know, yesterday I had, I've, everybody's been telling me about this Disney character, this Disney cartoon movie, and they said, I thought of you, Bruno, because there was a phrase that said, silencio Bruno, all right? Now, silencio Bruno is just mean the bad negative thought. Of course, Bruno would be bad and negative in some kind of form, right? It's either a dog's name or it's, uh, it's someone who's a bruiser, and now it's a bad negative thought in the head of someone, you know? Just say, you know, so there these, these characters, Luca and Alberto, who are, there's a drama going on. There's a storyline. And as a storyline, of course, they had to have a villain. Where there was a villain in the town of Genova. And, and then, and also near Geneva, and then they, they, they had this storyline where, again, there was this young girl who came alongside of Luca and Alberto, and they moved it, and you would think, okay, how are they going to be able to accomplish the task of winning a race when there's sea monsters coming out of the water and they can't even barely walk? So you're walking through this story and unfolding, and you see when you're mesmerized and the children are mesmerized, wondering how that's all going to turn out. But how about with Jesus? Is it funny that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, are we moved by certain testimonies of now, come and see the individual who was once a wretch, fallen away from life and God, and now he's come to say, be saved, and there's this drama, and they build it all up, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, look what God did. There's nothing wrong with that. But are we attracted to the drama or are we attracted to the fact that God saved someone from their sin? Are you watching now? Because there's a difference we're going to talk about between sin and sins. And we want to make sure that we understand that with testimonies, what are they really supposed to look like? Is it supposed to be this dramatic storyline? 
What types of testimonies are we looking for? Do our Christian testimonies involve the first, only the first phase of salvation? What about the second phase of salvation? And ultimately, we understand the third phase. And we'll talk a little bit about that too. But as you think about a story, what if you're someone who just doesn't really have a dramatic story? You grew up in a Christian home. You heard the gospel since you were a child. And you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You recognized that you were a sinner. And you came to faith. And most people say, oh, is that all you have? You know, they would think of that as just being just a plain testimony. But where's the drama? See, we're, are we looking for the sins? Or is the drama in the sin? And see, that's where I think we have to ask those questions. Because when we look at the life of Paul, and we look at his testimony today in chapter 9 of Acts, we have to understand that we have a story. It's from persecutor to the persecuted, right? I mean, it's like this drama of just this change. And it's beautiful. And it's what God has done. It's this dunamis power of God that changed a life. But really, where is the drama? Because we're going to look at it and say, is the drama in his murderous threats and his threats to murder Christians? Or is there a deeper drama going on in the life of Saul, who once we'll, we'll know as Paul, in this whole narrative or narration and storyline? So I would invite you, if you can, to just come with me here, because I want to talk about what makes a powerful Christian testimony. What does it require? Well, I'm going to start here with it requires a sinner. <laughs> I mean, straight out sinner, right? Okay, you're like, wow, you know. See, sometimes we forget that the sinner is in the testimony, right? Because now that we're saved by grace, we forget that we're sinners. But are we sinners saved by grace? Is the sinner gone and now we're just Christians? But the sinner is part of the story. And as we look at it, we have to see in chapter 9... Uh, verses 1 and 2 is where the story begins. But we got to go back just a chapter before. As you look at Scripture and you see, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we see written that it's Saul approved of his execution. Now, the his is Stephen. In chapter 7, he proclaims the gospel to a bunch of Jews and leaders, and they have him stoned and killed for the sake of him proclaiming the gospel. And yet now chapter 9, verse 1, is actually going from chapter 8, verse 1, because in chapter 8, they go to Philip and some of going down that storyline. So that's a whole nother separate story. Now we see a storyline with Saul, who we know as Paul, in chapter 9, verse 1. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats, and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest. Now we understand the storyline that Saul wanted to remove the movement of the way. Uh, they weren't called Christian just yet. It was called the movement of the way. He didn't want this movement to gain any momentum. He wanted them arrested. Well, I have some handcuffs here. And um, you guys are wondering, what in the world is he thinking about? I have no idea. I'm just going to put these on. And uh, let you know that sometimes what happens is that when a person is arrested uh, and they have to be bound, and I thank Carl Rye for giving me these handcuffs to use today, because they have to, they have to put someone bound so that they can't move around. So they have to bind them from their hands from having any movement. And they have to put shackles on their feet, and they have to walk like this, and they're bound. And so this is where we were before Christ. But here's the thing. Paul, Saul, was running after to attack the Christians. And he was a man of zeal, a man who was a Pharisee, a man who followed Judaism, a man who believed in a monotheistic God following God, and yet he was passionate. And he saw that this movement, the way, were the enemies of God. But they weren't. They weren't the enemies of God as we know. They were Christians in the first century. And we understand that from the scriptures because it was the only one true way Jesus said, and he had to. And so as we understand and we recognize, we see 
that it's important for us to see that right here, even Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul said, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. And here he was running after these Christians to Damascus because many of them were fleeing from the scattering and the dysphoria. They were fleeing away from Jerusalem. And here he was running, believing he was for God, but actually he was bound. And what he was doing was him being bound, he wanted others to be bound. Get it? Sometimes we live bound. We may be Christians like this where we're just slightly bound. We're not totally bound, so we're walking kind of clanking around because we're still holding on to these unforgiveness, bitterness, or we're dealing with other sins in our lives, bad marriages, tough marriages, difficulties with children, sin in our lives that we're just bound, we're walking around, and we, we've seen the lost, the key, oh, oh, it's on the ground right here, and I'm trying to get the key, but I can't seem to fit it into the hole, I don't know what to do, and I have to get it taken off, and I'll just keep walking around with it. And so we're bound, and that's what Paul was bound. Paul was bound, he didn't know what he could do, he was sitting and he was going after these Christians. And see, the drama wasn't in his sin. It wasn't, we obviously see it was sins that he was running after them. 150 miles, six-day trip. The passion in this man to want to make sure that these so-called people of the way, the followers, would be bound and arrested. For what cause? Because he had zeal to persecute the church. Because he didn't want them to gain momentum. He thought them to be the enemies of God. And so we have to understand that the drama isn't in the sins. Because there's a difference between sin and sins. We have to understand that. There's a difference. And the difference is that when we understand, we have to see that sins are some things that we are, are pursuing because of the result of sin. See, our sin state, our position before God, our sin state before God. I know my microphone's off, but you guys can still hear me. My, the sin state before God is key. Because for me, I'm trying to understand and gather to understand, why isn't the drama in the, not, in, not in the sin rather than the sins? We get so caught up in people's sins, but God sees the sin. Because in our depraved state, in our sinful nature... We stand dead before God. We can't respond. There's no way for us to respond. And so, and dead in our trespasses and sins, depraved, we can do good to one another, but we can't do good before God. Our good is not good enough. See, that's the drama. The drama is we can't pay our debt. Jesus had to pay it for us. And no matter what sin we commit, that's just a result of our sin state. And so, with our sins... We, a person can justify sins, but not sin. We can't justify it. And it's so important for us to gather and recognize that it's key component that we can justify anything we do. For instance, a man can easily say, well, you know, I'm looking at the porn because, honey, it's been about a year since we've had sex. And so I'm going to look at this porn right now because I'm going to justify it. I'm going to justify it because i got to fulfill my need. Come on. I mean, I need a break. I mean, I, I've got to do something here. Uh, can you help me? How about the anger? When you're angry, I have a right to be angry. You never listen to me. You ever get that one? <laughs> you never listen to me. So I have to raise my voice for you so that I can get your attention. Or envy. How often does envy come into our place? Where envy starts to creep in. It's an unintentional animosity. It's hostility. It's friction. It's bitterness towards other believers. And we don't even know it because we, we're envious of what they have. We don't like the way they act. They come into the room. 
And you know when you're uncomfortable with someone is when you walk into a room and they're in the room and you're very uncomfortable. That's when you know you're dealing with animosity, bitterness, or even potential envious and even unforgiveness. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And I think that that's why we have to understand that we can justify our sin, but we can never justify sin. That's why it's important, as Paul reminded us often, that we need to remember that we are still sinners saved by grace. Because it's easy. We can walk bound justifying our sin. We can walk this way justifying our sin. But ultimately, we have to be reminded that we're sinners saved by grace. I love Paul because this is the beginning, justification. At the beginning of his testimony, this is just the start of a story of his, of his life. We know that. We've read it. In the 21st century Christian, if you read the New Testament, you see he's written more books than any other person in the New Testament. But what he's written is that he's written and his attitude of humility, of confession, of his willingness. He was a great man. I mean, his testimony is phenomenal, what God has done in the life of Paul. But yet when you see a great man like him and you wonder, wow, he would probably be arrogant and prideful, thinking that he's all it in a bag of chips, right? No. You see his attitude. Here it is. I love it. I get excited when I read this. And he says this. It says, Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithfully appointed me to his service. Appointing meaning chosen, elected for his service. See, service is something that you do for a lifetime. It's not at the initial point of salvation. It's a lifetime. So he's saying that I'm grateful that at this point, as he's writing the last couple of letters of his life, one of not being but 2 Timothy being his last letter, but here is a prison letter and he's writing in prison. And he goes on, verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I've received mercy because I've acted ignorantly in unbelief. See, you and I, we can't forget where we once were bound. We can't forget this because this is what should motivate us when it's motivating us to see that where we were and the justification reminds us of where God sent us and, and set us apart, where he took us out of the old self, took us away from sin and brought us into a place of saint, from sinner to saint. And that's what should be our motivation, our passion, our hunger to reach someone who is. Because when we're walking around like this bound, sometimes we're so caught up in our own lives we don't have time to share compassion with others. And here, I love when Paul is simply just stating this. And he says, and it's by the grace of our Lord overflowed me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and, observe, and, and deserving of all full acceptance. Which is a doctrine, by the way. He's written this five different times in his epistles, in the pastoral epistles. Here is the statement. Christology and then soteriology. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I'd say, wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Get out of the way. I'm first. But his attitude was humility. He was a powerful man used of God, appointed by God to travel thousands upon thousands of miles to plant churches. And here he says, I'm just a sinner. I love when he says this, for I am the least of the apostles, 1 Corinthians 15, 9, unworthy to be called an apostle because I've persecuted the church of God. He doesn't live here. See, what we got to understand is that Jesus is the key, and all he wants to do is to release us and let us free. And we just have to be able to do that. And I think it's important for us to do that. And I think I'm stuck right now. <laughs> no, there we go. And so it's important for us to see that God just wants to set us free, the shackles down, so we could be free. Now, you tie up an Italian, that's crazy, but you tie up a sinner, a sinner needs to be set free to be used of God in a mighty way. Paul, although was in prison, bound, he was set free because he said, the word of God is not in chains. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And that's why it's important for us to understand that he's called us. That is the power of a testimony. Number two, a powerful Christian testimony requires a savior. We have to understand a savior. In chapter 9, 
verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 3 and 6, it says this. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Falling to the ground, he had heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, which in the Hebrew means that he's trying to get his attention. He's repeating the word. Jesus is saying, you need to listen to me right now. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, Yeshua, the one who gives you salvation, the one who's been sent by the Father, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. See, Jesus is God. He's been given to him from the Father judgment. He's the judge, and he can give judgment on everything. And he could remove Paul for his sin. He could simply just remove him away and have him killed instantly. But he didn't. Because God sent his son to show compassion, to show an amazing compassion. But with compassion and grace, there's accountability. And I love that Jesus compassionately confronts the sinner with the intention to convict. That's what he did here. He's the redeemer. He's the rescuer. He's the one in whom God has called to save sinners from their sin. Not from their sins, but from their sin. And why? Why does he want to rescue us? So we could be his story. So we can live a life of testimony. You and I have the opportunity to do so. But what happens too often in our lives? We're bound. Sin, we're stuck in it. Struggling with our schedules. Struggling with what our priorities are. Asking to look for things of this world to satisfy us. Our marriages are a mess. Our children are wayward. And the struggle continues on and on and on. The stories that we hear, but only by the grace of God can he cover it and save and rescue. Because he so desires to do that. He wants to do that now. So if we're stuck in our sin, he doesn't leave us there. He's a compassionate Christ. He's a compassionate God who comes and he wants to convict us with the intention of saving us. Saving us from our sin. Saving us from our wrong because perfection is not what he's looking to. God is not what, God is not here to judge us or to call us out. He's here to rescue us. That's why he sent Jesus. And although we stand condemned, there's hope. And in that we can share the compassion of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the hope of God, and the joy of God. See, when God offers us hope through Christ, we can offer others hope through Christ. See, if we're living bound and we're not freed from the shackles, we're going to bind others up. You know, hurt people hurt people. Broken people break up people. <laughs> because when we're in misery, we want misery to join us. And God wants to set us free so we can lead others to compassion and love. If we can't be loving toward one another, we sure enough can't lead others who are far away from God. We have to work on that. But we have to spend time with the one who's compassionate and loving. So in our testimony that's living every day, in our living faith, we need a Savior. We need a Savior who's going to contain us and keep us and move us forward in living faith. See, as the storyline continues, Ananias had, had been confronted by Jesus. And, here Jesus. and here Paul, now just being hit by, confronted by Jesus, the two companions that were sitting on the horses, they hear, but they can't really see anything. And here is Paul now. He's hearing and he's seeing, but then his eyes were closed. He opened his eyes and he couldn't see because Jesus had, had struck him with blindness. And here now Ananias is being informed. Now we switch the scene. Ananias is there and Jesus starts to tell him, I need you to meet up with this guy named Saul. And Ananias with which. Every way he would do it, like we do it today, we counsel God. We're like, Lord, uh, I think you need to know about this guy, Jesus. He's actually here now. He just traveled, um, you know, I mean, Paul, you need to know that you need to know about this Saul because he just traveled 150 miles. And he traveled 150 miles to confront us and to arrest us and potentially to have us killed. So, Jesus, can we talk about this? Can we change the plan? Can we change your strategy? Uh, can we work out something here? Because this is important for us right now. And lo and behold, what happens? We find out that Jesus had to remind Ananias that he needed to just listen, obey, 
and surrender. That's what he needed to do. See, here's the third thing I believe that needs to be in a powerful testimony, a surrender. And a surrender is so key because with a surrender, you have a people who are willing to follow God, a people willing to seek after God, a people willing to say, see, Ananias had a surrender to God. And now in chapter 9, verse 15, we arrive at the storyline where it says, but the Lord said to him, Ananias, go. Don't question me. Don't try to counsel me. I'm God. I'm sovereign God. I planned this. I put this all together. I'm the one who created the heavens and the earth. You don't need to counsel me right now. Just go with an imperative, in a loving imperative, polite command. Although when God says go and it's polite, it's very fierce. And so for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Now the word carry means witness. So what he's saying is, I have chosen him, elected him, selected him, chose him to be a witness for me, an instrument, an empty vessel for his grace, for his pleasure. God chooses us before the foundations of the earth, and he chooses us for his grace, for his pleasure, for his purpose. And he's doing the same thing now as an instrument for Saul that he is to be, who's going to be Paul, to go and to travel and to share and to proclaim to be a witness. Even to the point where he says in verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer. The word must is, it's called the, it's called the verb in Greek, the day verb, the, it's called necessary. And the day verb means that he will suffer. It's a promise because he needs to surrender. He needs to follow me. He's been chosen for that purpose. He's been chosen to serve me, to witness for me, even to the point of death, matureo. That he has to be willing to die. That he's been called for that purpose. See, you and I, we have to understand in salvation, there are three phases. Justification, sanctification, glorification. How important is that? It's very important. That's why I'm mentioning it. Because in justification, this is what it means. Upon trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, he declares a sinner righteous. He's not making him righteous. He declares him righteous. It's a forensic term and a legal term to simply say that although you're not you're a sinner and you're guilty. I will declare you righteous because of someone else's act. And Jesus stepped in as the substitutionary atonement, perfect for you and I. And here we are then justified before God because of Jesus. And righteousness is added to our account. It's accredited to our account because of Jesus. Now, sanctification is yielding, submitting, and obeying God on a daily basis through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is permanent and dwelling, in order to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a life of service here on earth. It's submitting, it's surrendering, it's saying, whatever you say, Lord, I will follow you. Now, you might be kicking and screaming and complaining and all that, and we all do that, but yet God is saying, but at the end of the day, we need to obey, just like children. And with an adoption, human adopted parents can bestow love and grace with a future inheritance, but not specific DNA characteristics. See, we've been adopted. And now we have the nature of God in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, but we need to surrender. That's what adoption is about. It was chosen before the foundations of the world. That we would be regenerated, renewed for the kingdom of God. And that's why the word suffer there is where we get passion. Pasco, the passion of Christ. He warned him. He says, you will suffer like Jesus. How many of us think about that in our testimonies? How many of us realize God's called us to that, to suffer for the kingdom of God? But here in America, with conveniences, complacency, and the American way, it's really hard to imagine that we're really suffering for the kingdom of God. Suffering is having to sit in a service for about an hour and ten minutes. That's about as suffering as it gets for us. But God has called us so that we could be a story, so we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ and be a light for him wherever he goes. I love when he says this. Paul said it, but when, when he who had set me apart before I was born, he had called me by his grace. Jesus died. He set us apart for a purpose so we can live for him. But it takes a point 
of realizing that he set us apart for a reason. We have a testimony here, a video testimony, of someone who actually died, someone who attends our church, who's been here for some time, and had died for 24 minutes. And I just want you to hear this incredible testament of what God did in the life of Simon and Michelle Hunter. When the doctors gave me information or informed me that Simon um, had actually gone into cardiac arrest, it really was just receiving and absorbing the information. The shock and the fear happened earlier as we were going through the whole experience. It was pretty frightening because I didn't know he would get through this. I didn't know the outcome. I definitely feel like God gave me strength to, um, you know, wait. Um, even though it was hard, he gave me strength to do that. He um, provides us the Holy Spirit who intercedes when we don't even know what to pray. called me the next day and she said he woke up and he was asking if I knew he was in the hospital. And the song, The Goodness of God, was on my heart. God is so good. I truly believe that I was the recipient of the miracle. Um, I know I had a lot of people praying for me all around the world. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, even after having all the things that happened to me and going back and seeing the nurses, um, they even told me of all the people that they've seen that this happened to over many years that I was like one of three people that came back 100%. Um, I'd kind of encourage anybody that's really gone through this to look at Ecclesiastes, but it, as you know, it talks about there's a time and a purpose for everything, the time that we're born, the time that we die. And I look at maybe was this intended to be my time to die? And did God intervene with his compassion and his mercy because of all the people that prayed for me to allow me to continue to come back? So my relationship with God, I think, has just become infinitely stronger because of that. says I am the resurrection and when I think about what he says there about you know those of us that believe in him will have eternal life and for me it's almost like a metaphor because I literally died and he literally answered prayer and physically brought me back to life but I know because of what Jesus did on the cross that I will have eternal life In Simon's life, in Michelle's life, that was a step of sanctification. God gave them a story. And I know that God is going to use it however he sees fit of his incredible mercy and grace to decide to choose to bring Simon back for a purpose. And he said his life has changed. And each one of us, we have an opportunity. It's a story, a testimony 
and we have the opportunity to share wherever we go. Paul, when you see in chapter 9, 17 and 18, it says, So Ananias, Ananias departed and entered the house, laying his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is salvation. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He, he regained his sight, and then he arose and was baptized. That is the start of his story. And we shared earlier, there's so many scriptures of where Paul shared of his journey, even to the point where glorification at the very end towards 2 Timothy chapter 4 just before he entered into glorification. We saw something written there. But it's the beauty of that each one of us has a story. God wants to give us this story. Our story is his story. A sinner saved by grace for his service. A chosen instrument for his service. See, just like Saul, who was Paul, God chose him, God chose you and I for that same purpose. Don't you realize it's not just Saul, it's you and I. Each one of you, that God has given you a name to bear his name, the name Christian, to share and proclaim the gospel and a story. He knows your story. He knows their sin. There's still a Savior in the midst of our sanctification. And all we need to do is surrender on a daily basis. Because glorification comes at the end. When he says, good and faithful servant, enter in. So I ask this question to challenge us. How do we know if God's story is still living in us? Well, believers have a God story from within the last 30 days, not 30 years. When believers share their faith with someone in less than 30 days ago, not 30 years ago. When believers share what they did for Christ Less than 30 days ago, not 30 years ago. See, our faith should be living alive so people see the life in us. We need to say, God, how can you use me wherever we go? It doesn't matter. God has called us. I'm just sharing this with you. Joy and I were at the mall. We were walking around. We had to do a couple of things. We went into a store, and a person who worked there recognized me. I was surprised, and she recognized me. And we started talking to her. And as we started talking to her, she started sharing her life with us. And as we, we, just started, we just stopped and we listened, and the Holy Spirit said, share the gospel with her. And so I had my card on me, living on the edge, and I had my card as, as a pastor here at the church. And then I, I just kind of shared it with her, and she says, I know Jesus. I said, that's awesome. And after we talked a little bit, all the things you shared, I said, I looked behind me like this. I said, can we pray for you right now? She says, oh, please do. My wife and I are praying for her right in the store. And after we prayed, tears were just flowing down her eyes. She goes, I needed that. She was sharing her whole life story with us. And I said, I'm going to remember you and pray for you. But any time, any opportunity, we can do a touch because we are living testimonies wherever we go for the kingdom of God. God's called us to that wherever we go. Who cares if people think we're strange? I'm strange enough. All right, but if they think I'm strange because I'm a Christian, I don't care. We've got to present the gospel. We've got to live with passion. That's what God has called. We have the answer to life. We have living hope. So what's our story? God's given you a story. He's given me a story. We need to share it. I can't encourage you enough. It's so important for us. Look at Paul real quick, real quick. I'm just going to share this with you. It says, then they cast him out in the city and, and stoned him, that being Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is chapter 7 of 58. Then the next two chapters, this is what we see. And he spoke and disputed against the, um, the Hellenists. Excuse me. When many days had passed, the Jews had plotted to kill him. They were ready to kill him. He went from they laid garments before him to they wanted to kill him. <laughs> And that's Paul's life. And the same thing. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. From persecutor to persecuted. That's his story. And he shares it throughout the New Testament. I love it. I love it. We have an opportunity to stand before God. So I want to encourage you today. Lost a friend. 
an old college friend. Kenda and I were in Bible college. Kenda Wassam and I were in Bible college together. Wes Cottonstein was an uh, amazing young man. Him and Chip were the life of the party all around the campus. I got the opportunity to get to know them. Wes was dealing with 20 years of kidney cancer. And the Lord took him on Father's Day. You know what he told his family, wife and children, before his last breath? Make disciples of Jesus. That was Wes. I just pray I can even be like Wes. Suffer for 20 years, but never stop being a pastor and presenting the gospel. He was so passionate. I pray that, that is, that's his story. If I could remember Wes, that's his story. Good and faithful servant. And I pray that you guys and all of us would share our story. I'm going to ask the team to come up. And as I do, I'm going to pray and ask God to move in our midst. So why don't you bow your heads and pray with me right now. Father, thank you. What a story. Persecutor who persecuted. But the drama is not in that he persecuted the church. The drama is in his sin. Saul was a sinner, stood before you in need of a Savior. And each one of us are sinners in need of a Savior. And Lord, our story is simply this. You saved us from our sin. Now we're sinners saved by grace. And you've given us a story. And we have the opportunity to share that story. You've justified us through your son. You're sanctifying us through your son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will one day glorify us in your presence. I pray, Lord, that through this time, that your name would be glorified, that your name would be praised, that each one of us would grab a hold of this story that you've given us, and that we would make it your story to share it with the world. God, let us be your followers. Let us be the ones that you've called as chosen instruments for your glory so that you would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. What the mercy of God can do. If you knew me then, believe me now, turn my whole life upside down. Took the old and he made it new. Just what the mercy story, how I've overcome, it's His goodness and mercy, and the power of His blood, I'm so glad that my freedom wasn't based on what I've done, but the goodness and mercy, and the power of the
Greg, can you play? Can you play? Something on my heart. Something on my heart. Can you just play for just a little bit? Something on my heart. There's just, I'm, I'm thinking of the word surrender. God's given you a story. He wants you to use it. We can't build this church on four men as the pastoral team. We sure enough can't build it with an added staff. Each one of you have a story. You're responsible before God to share it. We can't make you share it. God's given you mercy. So I ask the question, what are you doing with it? God's given you a story. You can share it. I want you to just close your eyes for just a moment. I just want to give you 10, about 20, 30 seconds of your time to say, God, here I am as an instrument, a chosen instrument for your glory. Use me to share your story. Please just pray that prayer real quick. to tell the story how I've overcome this is goodness and mercy and the power of his blood I'm so glad that my freedom wasn't based on what I've done but the goodness and mercy and the power of the blood Father, for this time, we just want to say thank you for reminding us that you're, we are your recipients of grace and mercy. May we share the story. Give us the courage, the boldness to share the story that you've given us through our lives. Our stories are your stories. May we not be afraid to share and proclaim your goodness to the world around us. In Jesus' name.
At this time, before we head out, I was going to uh, share with you that we have a person in our church, that's Leah Kinyang-Jui, that I'm going to ask to come up, and for her, um, we're, she is going on a trip to Jamaica, at her hometown, and she has done this each year, and this past year, she hasn't been able to do so. I'm going to invite the pastoral team, along with Rick Rogers, who's our mission team leader, to come up. We want to pray over her. And she has been doing this for many years now to go back home to Jamaica in her hometown. And um, what she has done in recent years is had 200 children that she has presented the gospel to through Vacation Bible School. She has a team that she takes down. They train, and then they go around mid-July. And this year, they've had the open door to be able to do so. So we're excited. We want to not only pray, you know, place our hands on her and pray for her as a pastoral team and also for Rick as the mission team leader, but also that we just, we, we want to make sure that we as a church, will you agree with us and pray with us now that God would use Athlea in such a way with her team to reach children for, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to truly present to them the gospel, that they would come to faith, that they would be set free from their sin and receive the gift of eternal life. Would you pray with us? Can I get an amen? amen? All right, okay, all right. So let's pray as we lay our hands on, you know, Athlea and, and just pray that God would keep them safe through this time. Father, thank you for this time together as a pastoral team with Rick Rogers as well as a mission team leader, Father, and also our congregation, our team, all of us together as a people of God. Father, we pray for Athlea, for her ministry, for her team as they prepare, that you would give them safe travel, say, that you would give them mercy and grace, that nothing will go wrong, that everything will work out well, that nothing will be stopped, there will be nothing that will get in the way, an obstacle at all, nothing. God, we just pray that your spirit would move upon them, that you would use them as your instruments to reach those children who desperately need to hear the gospel, to confess their sin, to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and to not only just be justified, but to truly be known by you, God, so they can be chosen of you to share your great gospel with everyone whom they come in contact with. Father, we do not believe that the children are our future. They can be Christians today and reach those who are their peers even today. I recall my son who was four years old talking to a young boy across the street in New Jersey, and he was telling a young boy of four years old about Jesus. Lord, each one of us are your instruments and your vessels, so Lord, we just pray your rich blessing on this ministry. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do through Athlea and the team, and God, may you bring her home safely where we can hear of some stories of what you have done in their lives and the life of these children. God, thank you so much for her life, for her passion, for George and the family for all their children. And Father, we just pray your rich blessing on this family and on this ministry. In Jesus' name, all God.